A little while ago, one of my friends told me he was practicing a thing called 24-6, meaning that one day a week, he was technology-free. No email, no texts, no iPhone, no social media, nothing digital for 24 hours, one day a week, every week. I was curious about whether I could attempt something like this. (laughs) Curious, but not curious enough to actually try it. Not long after this conversation with my friend, our guest today reached out to me to ask if we could talk about his new book, Spacemaker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. The book won the Australian Business Book Award in 2021. Welcome to episode 113 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I am your host, Julie Brown, and today I am talking with Daniel C., to discuss how to establish healthy digital boundaries, especially for those of you still working from home or in hybrid working environments. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. Think about all the things we do on our phones, calling, texting, emailing, navigating, booking Ubers, listening to podcasts or audiobooks or the news, watching YouTube, listening to music, playing video games, taking photographs, and not least of all, participating in social media. It's tied to everything we do and even things we don't do. It's by our bedside when we sleep. We never leave the house without it because if we did, we'd certainly miss it and stress about not having it. Yes, there are benefits to smartphones, of course, but what are the trade-offs when it comes to our mental health and social lives? We don't talk to each other anymore, even if we are in the same house or on the same train or in the same restaurant. We are always consumed by our phones. Well, today, my guest wants to teach us how to establish annual, weekly, and daily practices of self-care by unplugging from technology as a habit. And when we do this, we will be able to think deeply, rest fully, and enjoy a broad range of activities away from the screen. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Julie. It's great to be here online talking to you on Zoom. (laughs) Online talking about how we can get offline. (laughs) As is the way the world is nowadays, yeah. Well, there's, again, there's good and bads in everything. You're in Australia and I'm in Massachusetts. And so this conversation couldn't happen without this medium. So yes, there's good and bad in all of it, I guess. But I'm going to assume that you're passionate about this subject of making space and unplugging because maybe you've struggled with overwork and productivity and being consumed by a digital lifestyle in the past. Is, am I totally off base or am I right? No, you guessed it well. Look, I'm a, I'm a business owner. I'm a family person. Uh, I love starting things, writing books, creating new projects. And so the, the downside of that type of personality, I'm, sh- I'm sure you might guess, is that I have run out of space in my life. And a lot of my life is digital. I mean, I just spend so much time talking to people interstate or overseas, training, coaching, uh, using newsletters, etc. And I definitely found myself a number of years ago uh, getting to the stage where I just felt just totally overwhelmed with how much time I was spending online. And it started slowly at first where I just started to feel like, you know, why am I always on Gmail and why am I spending time on my phone when my kids are there and I wish I was 
like in my head, I wanted to be present with my kids, but in practice, I was just working or I was doing other stuff that was maybe less meaningful than that. And uh, eventually I actually ended up having breathing issues and I started to feel breathless at, you know, when I was at conferences and then breathless speaking in front of audiences and then breathless just being at the dinner table. And I realized, wow, this is this sense of feeling overwhelmed and soaked in work and tech and not resting my mind mm -hmm. uh, as well as not resting my body. And so I went on a journey uh, and that was anxiety. That wasn't physical. I went and had tests and I started to realize, okay, something's going on here. I need a better a rhythm in my life. And it's where I started to become passionate about the idea of making space to think and rest and breathe and, and to create a rhythm and a pattern, a cadence to our life where we unplug, uh, where we rest fully. And particularly the things I'm passionate about are deep rest, deep thought and deep relationship. And, and all of them if we're really going to experience them in the post-COVID always-on era, it's going to require a rethink of our relationship with our technologies. I like that word relationship. Obviously, this is a podcast about relationships, different kinds of relationships. But I don't think I've ever thought of what I do with my phone as a relationship. But we do. And, and to begin to discover how we can make maybe make space in our life, we have to understand what our relationship is with the online world and maybe how complex that relationship is. And we don't even know that. So how where does that discovery process begin? Like, how can we understand our relationship in the online world that we have mm. in the online world? It's a really critical question. We absolutely have a relationship with our phones. I mean, even if you think about it, you know, many of us just are in bed, let's say with a spouse or a partner, mm -hmm. and rather than pillow talk and ending the day processing what happened with, you know, the person in bed next to us, we're making love to our devices and having a relationship, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Instead of, you know, having a relationship with our spouse. I mean, so, so we are absolutely having a relationship. And I think that's the best way to kind of frame it because there's a person called Jamin Fraser who says that behavior is at the end of the assembly line. Uh, it's, at the it's at the end of the assembly line of the factory of beliefs and story. And so what happens is we have a story about the world, uh, about what technology means to us, about what it gives us and about our relationship with that technology. And then from that story comes a, an overflow of behaviors, which lead us to be always on and constantly connected and never able to switch off. Uh, unless we shift our story and our paradigm of technology, it's very hard to shift our practices, which is why my book goes from the paradigm of tech and then uh, changes that before you can actually shift your behaviors. Because like you said, the idea of, hey, have a digital free day once a week. I mean, how complicated is that? Put your phone away, turn it off. I mean, it's not hard to understand, mm -hmm. but I mean, most people are going to get heart kind of palpitations yeah. at the idea of a whole day, you know, mm -hmm. ever, let alone once a week without a phone. And that's not about the technical side. That's not about the complexity of turning your phone off. It's about the relationship you have and yeah. the codependence you have mm -hmm. and the, the result of breaking that relationship and, and what that might do to your heart, your mind, mm -hmm. your emotions. And, and so that's where the work needs to start. I think in one of your materials, you referenced a research story about, I mean, you're Australian, I'm American. You mentioned a research story about how you Americans can't spend more than six to 15 minutes off their phones without wanting to shock themselves with electricity. What is this 
what is this study <laughs> you're referring to? Oh, uh, yeah. No, look, we're a lot better in Australia. We probably can go without our phones for six and a half minutes, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, no, look, there was this study in the University of Virginia, uh, a guy called Timothy Wilson, and he, he wanted to find out actually how people found their own thoughts. It wasn't necessarily a technology study. And so we got people in a room for six to 15 minutes. It was a comfortable environment. And he basically said, uh, he took away all the devices and he said, just reflect on your own thoughts for that time. And he found that people almost like uh, the majority of people said that that experience was painful. And so he was trying to work out, wow, that, that people use the term painful to, to describe space and silence and, and reflecting on their own emotions and thoughts. And so he wanted to find out what they meant by painful. So he gave them painful electric shocks, which were so painful that people said they would pay $5 or more not to be shocked again. Okay. And then he put a new group of participants in the room after having been shocked and gave them the same experiment and said, look, sit for six to 15 minutes, reflect on your thoughts, but don't shock yourself. But, you know, the machine's there if you, I suppose you really want to. And it was like 67% of men and 25% of, of women chose to give themselves painful shocks of electricity rather than sit without a device and think their own thoughts. And that says to me, we're in a, we have a culture where people are so used to habitually grabbing their phone at the toilet, you know, at the train station, you know, whenever you're even you're cooking dinner and you need to just scan the next Instagram or Twitter post, you know, mm -hmm. you, we, we've trained our brain to be so hyper-connected to the online world, so dopamine dependent yeah. that we, we actually have to retrain ourselves to enjoy space because there is incredible joy in not being connected and there's incredible meaning in it, but we need to practice it which is such a new reality. The idea that mm. we need to practice not being online. It's now a, it's a discipline now to learn to disconnect. And that's why I believe that space makers, people who want to be truly productive, not only use technology well, but they actually need to practice unusing it at particular times in the day for their mental health, for their focus and for their relationships. So I'm going to assume that COVID made our relationships with our technology even more important and hard to imagine not having? That's my guess. I mean, we absolutely are using technology more than we used to, you know, more Zoom meetings, mm -hmm. more emails, more time online. So that's true. And yet I think what we're seeing is something that's a bit of a paradoxical relationship with tech. Because I was writing this book for six years before COVID, well, five years of research and, and writing. And when I started the book, the idea that we have an, an unbalanced relationship with the digital age and that we might be struggling with what I call digital overload yeah. or digital overuse, that was, it wasn't foreign, but most people needed convincing. And then post COVID, no one needed convincing that we spent too much time online. We talked about Zoom fatigue. Everyone was just brain dead and, and we, we yeah. felt our relationships tethering. You know, we started to actually experience the true effects of digital overload. And because of that, I don't have to convince people there's a problem anymore. And so that's a good thing because I'm seeing a recorrection. I'm seeing a rebalancing. It's very slow, but rather than the conversation about should we rethink our relationship with tech, everyone would generally say yes. Now the question is, how do we do it? Where did we go wrong? And what is our vision of life where we use technology regularly and enjoy it and value it, but where we disconnect regularly because we need it for our health and humanity? So before we get into some of your 
tips and strategies for having digital free time in our life, scheduled time in our life. Some people might actually say, well, maybe I won't be as productive or as effective in my job or in connecting with people, staying on top of what people are doing if I'm not 100% connected all the time. So what is your retort to maybe that argument? Yeah, just enormous amounts of research to say you're wrong. <laughs> so, uh, it, I mean, let me think, how could I describe it? If you're an elite athlete and you never stop exercising, you never stop lifting weights, you never stop running and pushing yourself to the limit, well, then you'd be a terrible athlete because your body wouldn't recover. I mean, that is how we're designed. Our, our brain needs to recover. That's why we sleep. You know, you could say, well, I always want to get more productive, so I won't sleep. Well, if you don't sleep, you, you don't clear the chemicals in your brain. You don't put down learning synapses. You, your body falls apart. You know, so sleep is an example of how the body is designed to rest before work and have a rhythm of rest and work in order to be your best, both mentally and, and physically. When you look at it from multiple perspectives, it's the same with technology. So the brain, for example, if we just stick with the brain, let alone the body, the brain needs to slow down, not just for sleep during times in the day. It needs silence. It needs, and it needs a broad and diverse neurological experience because the brain uses up 20 to 25% of the body's entire energy reserves, which I think is incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay. One small organ and it takes up a quarter of your whole energy. And that's why you get brain fog. That's why you are mentally tired at the end of a day when you're living this kind of dopamine induced cortisol fueled kind of connection, uh, if, if you have a really stressful day and you're always online, your brain is really tired because mm -hmm. interactive technologies use up a lot of brain energy. We're not meant to constantly have novel feedback and stimulation. Mm -hmm. We're not designed to be in fight and flight mode constantly. And that's, that's what technology and new media creates in us, which feels interesting and engaging and we need the adrenaline. And yet, it exhausts us. And then we come home and because we have nothing left in the tank, physically or mentally, we end up on Instagram because we think that that will actually help us. Uh, yeah. It's meaningless because we have no kind of energy left to actually create music or to, to do a craft or to play board games with our kids right. or to read or create something. And yet it doesn't actually give our brain rest. So you end up in this kind of downward cycle where you're always online, constantly busy. You're feeling like your relationships are fraying, like you are anxious, like you're ticking things off, but you're actually not doing the right things. And all of that makes us highly unproductive. So yeah, basically there are so many angles I could look at this from relationships, neuroplasticity, culture, productivity research, but we need patterns of switching off if we are to be healthy, happy, and productive. So how do we begin to do that? How do we begin to schedule time within our life, within our days, where we aren't connected? Hmm. I would say to begin with, again, it comes to the mental change, the heart change, you know, the idea of, oh, actually, it would be, it'd be great to have a coffee with someone mm -hmm. and not need to check the phone for that hour and not even think about it. You know, and it would be great to be able to have some time where I'm writing in my journal or maybe sitting by the beach or, or just having a coffee and not being interrupted whatsoever because there's no tech in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, to have that desire to 
to just to rest deeply and to actually feel like you can truly turn off your tech and not have to check Gmail on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So that starts with the desire and then it goes to awareness. So what are your habits? I recommend people do a digital audit of their life, a bit like a food diary. So you'd actually look at, you know, when you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Do you reach for a smartphone to turn off the alarm? And then what do you press next? (laughs) Is it, yeah, is it Instagram? Is it Gmail? Whatever it is. Uh, and why do you do that? You know, and then look at what happens when you clean your teeth, what happens when you go to the toilet, when, when do you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, mm-hmm. and some of those habits are going to be healthy. I mean, again, it's not, I don't, I'm not an anti-tech person and it's not an anti-tech book, but it's trying to work out where are our habits a bit skew with, uh, where are they being shaped by the shareholder of Silicon Valley tech companies rather than our own values. And uh, when you find those points, you can start thinking, okay, well, how might I change those habits? What if I was to charge my phone outside of my bedroom and not start with Gmail, have a shower, have a coffee, write in my journal or do some meditation and then open up my phone 25 minutes after I wake up. Do you know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. the, so, so it has to start with an awareness of what needs to change before you can change it. And then the last part is, yeah, create some intentional rhythms where you make space by unplugging and unwinding and thinking clearly on an annual basis, like an annual pattern, which I can talk about, or a weekly pattern mm-hmm. uh, or a daily pattern, uh, so that the understanding is you're probably going to be almost always connected. I mean, the texture of your day, the texture of all of our days is likely to remain almost always online, mm-hmm. but we need these intentional breaths, these, these pauses, which give us life and give us hope and, and give us new perspective. And, and we do that intentionally as a productivity discipline to make space. So when you said patterns, what did you mean by that? Hmm. Yeah, no, great question. I'm a believer that what we regularly do is who we become. Uh, so if, yeah. for example, we want to be fit and we say that physical activity and exercise is important to us, well, you have to have a pattern. You, know, you need to go to the gym three times a week or go for a run on a Tuesday at six o'clock. You know what I mean? So, so the patterns and rhythms, that's what I mean. The habits you might want to say or the routines okay. that we create. But it has to be a rhythmical thing. Otherwise, I think it's very hard to sustain these digital disconnect habits. If you rely on your brain to want to suddenly not need dopamine for the next right. hour on random, at random times, it's probably a bit like saying I'm really unfit and I don't exercise, but I'm just going to go on my intuition and my kind of feelings to go for a run whenever I want to. It's just not going to cut it long term. So you mean we need to schedule these digital breaks? Yeah. Yeah. And habituate them. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a better time of day than other times of the day to be digitally free? Hmm. I, d- I don't know if I've thought through it like that. It's probably more I think about what are some particular habits that are useful and then how might you put them in? Mm -hmm. Uh, So like from a daily perspective, you know, we looked at Timothy Wilson's study, six to 15 minutes. One of my habits is how can you create daily pauses where for six to maybe half an hour, six minutes to half an hour, you're actually disconnecting and learning to enjoy a bit of space in the day. So one I've already mentioned is what if you were to charge your phone outside of your bedroom, maybe get an old fashioned alarm clock or maybe an old iPhone that doesn't have any apps or a SIM card to Mm -hmm. wake you up because you still need to wake up, but not have the internet. So then when you wake up, Mm -hmm. You just wake up and then, you know, what if you were to bookend each day? So at the end of the day, you talk to your spouse or you read a physical book or reflect on the data in your day and and how the day went and what the emotions of your day were. When you wake up, what if you were to pray or meditate or 
just to think through what the day might hold. And when I woke up, I, I thought, okay, well, I'm having a chat with Julie. I better talk about how this shit works. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, my, mental, my mental kind of processing is preparing. Yeah. That's so different than if I'd open up Gmail. So that's one daily yeah. pause. Uh, and I can give you other examples, but does that make sense? So that's habituating a pattern mm -hmm. so that there's space to think and rest at particular points in the day. I've been trying to, because my phone is my alarm, but I set it up where, because I have an iWatch and I wear it to bed for my sleep pattern. And I don't know how I did it. I'll have to research how I did this and put it in the show notes. But I set up my alarm that my alarm no longer goes off on my phone. It goes off on my watch. And it's a silent alarm, meaning mm. that it's it's called the heartbeat alarm, something like heartbeat alarm. And so it's it's a pulse that happens on my arm and that's enough to wake me up. So I'm not being jarred from sleep by horrible noises. And I don't have to touch my phone after the alarm goes off. Because mm. I can shut it off on, I can snooze and shut it off from my watch. I don't know if that's still considered digital in your oh, laws, but yeah. <laughs> and yeah, now using, what I'm trying to do. Now what I'm trying to do is not take the phone into the bathroom with me because <laughs> that is immediately, okay, I'm going to spend however long scrolling through shit that is doing nothing. It won't help me prepare for my day. So that's what I've been trying to do. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm not saying you have to, tech can be useful and really helpful to help us disconnect from tech mm -hmm. uh, as long as you're it's actually working you know yeah. so if you have do not disturb on your iWatch so you don't then you know press it and it just wakes you up well that's a fantastic solution mm -hmm. uh, and and again what I'm hearing is you have an awareness yeah okay when I wake up in the morning I'm having my shower I'm in the bathroom it's mm -hmm. actually really helpful to not suddenly be thrust into other people's thoughts to the worries of the world to what's happening yep. in the Ukraine or what's happening on some you know influencers kind of news feed like such a terrible way to to set off your mental processes yeah. uh, and instead you know you've just slept so your brain is fresh your, your brain has processed a whole mm -hmm. bunch of stuff uh, that's my most creative time. I, you know, I'll be in the shower. I mean, this is how I think. And, and I'll suddenly have ideas about what to write next or a framework to teach. I'll start drawing pictures on the shower, just, just in, you know, <laughs> using my imagination because I find that um, that's when my brain is kind of really awake. And I, I killed that creativity when I was checking Gmail too early. Yeah. Cause I suddenly just thought about all the stuff I had to do. So that's, it's just yeah. those little habits can make a tremendous difference to well, how you set up your day. What I realized is, and I don't do this now, I don't look at my email on my phone because what I realized was I thought I'd responded and I hadn't, but then it was unread. And so I was like missing out on responding to things. So I don't, I now have a rule that I don't look at Gmail on my phone because I'm not productive. I need to be at my computer to do it. <laughs> because this podcast is about networking and we're talking about, being still being connected with ourselves and maybe with our minds and with people face to face away from the digital media digital platform i want you to tell us a little bit about your a thing you call big dinner mm, interesting yeah so i i mean i'm an introvert and and yet so i have this value of contemplation and silence i think that's really helped me know who i am and and yet i also really value community and building relationships and, and being in kind of thick 
connected relationships with people. So a number of years ago, we, well now more than, more than a number of years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, we moved to Tasmania where I live now. We didn't have any family. We had very few friends, only a few new acquaintances. And we had a young child pretty early on and we were like, well, how do we build community? And uh, we, we ended up connecting with someone from our church community and we just got along well, but they, they wanted to live in connection with people more regularly as well. Mm -hmm. So we started, I mean, we actually ended up buying land and moving in together, but it actually started with a dinner. We actually just said, what if we ate a dinner once a week? Cause we already live close to each other. Mm -hmm. What if we had a dinner once a week with each other? It's not a dinner party. It's a rough and ready meal. And you know, one week you make spaghetti bolognese, the other week we make it. We have to eat on a Wednesday anyway. We've both got young kids, but it's a way of doing parenting and life together. Mm -hmm. And that pattern continued and continued for un until COVID. And we picked it up again. Obviously, we had a small break where we couldn't physically meet, but we would eat online a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, and that's been for more than a decade. The reason we ended up calling it Big Dinner is because after about six or seven years, our kids had grown up a bit and we thought, wouldn't it be good to just invite a few more people? So, you know, sometimes we would invite one of our closer friends who then became friends with both of us and mm -hmm. vice versa. And then some of those friends loved the rhythm and the pattern of our life so much that one of the couples actually decided to rent uh, a unit literally next door. And so when the rental came up, they moved. Mm -hmm. And so we had three houses and then someone else down the street who we actually became friends with over time and came to our dinner sometimes, a neighbor, they said, well, can we join the big dinner circuit and we'll have it at our house? So it became three houses. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another house popped up a few suburbs away and, and that created another pattern. And so really the idea of, again, a rhythm, a mm -hmm. commitment to disconnect from phones, to uh, have a face-to-face -face rough and ready meal together and to just let it become part of the fabric of life. It, it's completely changed my life in terms of the depth of my relationships. And I have these anchor points mm -hmm. where rather than talking to someone on Zoom, I have a face-to-face -face connection with people I care about. Mm -hmm. And it's this weird thing where I thought about networking. I actually have some pretty broad and wide networks and I do a lot of it through Zoom and conversations like this overseas and, and around the world. So on the one hand, because of being an author and a speaker, I have these wide, broad networks everywhere. And yet for me, it only works because I have seven to, to 15 really close people who call my shit. <laughs> they, they, they'll, you know, they'll tell me when I'm being a jerk and they'll encourage me when I'm down. I know I can go to them with anything at mm. any time. And with grief or loss, with, with joy and hope. And for me, I need both. Yeah. yeah. What I think is really important about that story is how, when you moved, you didn't have any family and you didn't have any connections and you built that community as an adult, because a lot of times I feel like people feel like if they don't already have friends by a certain age or in proximity to them, then they won't have the opportunity to make friends or they don't know how to make friends. And I've said it on a podcast before, the average American adult hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. Mm. And that breaks my heart more than anything because I'm constantly making friends. So I love 
that you started off by saying we didn't know anybody, we didn't have a community. And so we made one because that will empower people to say, okay, where, where are the places in which I can go to meet people to build a community around me if I don't already have one? Mm. That's look, that's brilliant. And we talked about patterns before. So obviously I had a fairly intense pattern, you know, weekly dinner is fairly intense, like it's Mm -hmm. fairly high commitment. Obviously Mm -hmm. we live together, so it's even more high commitment, but I would say if you feel like you just, you're lonely and you've spent so much time on your online, you work from home now and you don't even have the interpersonal connections around, you know, at work, then how can you get out of the house and intentionally start to connect with real people again in your life because the research says that people who have physical face-to-face relationships with multiple people they live longer in fact it's almost it's a higher predictor of life i think than giving up smoking it's amazing Mm -hmm. and online relationships cannot replace that so what if you were to have a coffee with someone you do know uh, a friend but you, you commit to a coffee once a month or even every two months what i've found is because I'm so busy, I find it really hard to commit to kind of really high bar rhythms in terms of friendship and connection. Mm-hmm. But if I commit to a coffee every two months with a friend or a beer every two months, that doesn't feel too high commitment. But right. if you do it for two years, you've really strengthened and solidified yeah. that friendship. So again, it's about being intentional and creating that pattern. Uh, and if, you, if you're someone, you know, if, if that idea feels strange, you know, going to a friend and saying, hey, would you like to have a beer every two months? Because that is a bit weird for a lot of people. <laughs> what I say is actually, if you meet someone and you think I'd like to spend time with this person, but I don't want to freak them out, then invite them for a beer and have a beer. But choose a time when you know that you're going to try to habituate it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so have a beer, let's say, you know, a Tuesday night on the first Tuesday of the month. They don't know that you're just picking a beer. And then at the end of that beer, say, hey, that was really great. Do you want to do it again? Sure. How about this time next month? All right. And mm-hmm. so you do it that time next month. If you, and then the next month you say, hey, do you want to do it next month? Sure. And by the time you've done it three times, it's a pattern. And then it's easy to say, I like this. Why don't we do it each month? Mm-hmm. Done. And you haven't had that weird conversation. You know, <laughs> hey, I need friends. Do you want to meet me every month? for a beer? So, so you can be intentional about how to create patterns and relationships in a way that's actually quite natural. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a question that has nothing to do. Well, maybe it does. Maybe you're going to correct me. Your company offers a lot of corporate trainings. And so I went through your website the other day to look at the corporate trainings that you offered. And one really just hit me hard because I have 22,000 emails in my inbox. And you have a corporate training program called Email Ninja. Is that correct? And so even though it has nothing to do with being digitally, like taking a digital hiatus or sabbatical, I'd really love for you to just really just (laughs) top, you know, 30,000 foot view of what does the Email Ninja training do? Because I'm going to need it. That sounds good. Now, I, I don't know how to connect it, but I'm happy to talk about email. <laughs> 20,000 is nothing. You're doing fine. I often coach people with 60,000 emails in their inbox and like 20,000 unread. So, you know, yeah, every, okay. th- th- there's digital redemption for everyone, Julie. 
and look, email ninja, I used to be a physiotherapist. And so I was trained in teaching people to improve their physical habits. And then when I became a productivity consultant and read lots of email research, I realized that actually, you know, we need to know how to use Outlook and Gmail and use the different functions, but that's not where people get stuck. Mm-hmm. They get stuck because of their digital habits, because of how they approach email and how they set it up. And so email ninja starts by teaching us that our inbox is just a letterbox, like the old post box, you know, we hardly ever use anymore. It was designed to be a place where stuff comes in and then you, you work out where the letters go and you put them into places. You have a workflow, like bills might go somewhere and letters might go somewhere. You don't open up bills, say I need to pay them, put them back in the envelope and stuff them back in the letterbox and just keep working from your letterbox and then filling it with new letters and old letters Mm -hmm. and like, that's not how we, well, hopefully that's not how we use our post box. And right. so what if, what if you could treat your inbox like a letterbox where stuff comes in, you don't work from your inbox, you create some very specific workflows. And then from that point of view, you can then get your inbox to zero each day and actually process stuff in a faster way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you look at the types of letters or emails that come into your inbox, there's really only five types that ever come your way. You've got actions, which are like to-dos, stuff you have to complete, Uh, reading, so stuff you'd like to read, but you don't have to read. You've got waiting, so stuff you've delegated and you're waiting a response on, which is not the same as an action. You've Mm -hmm. got archive or filing. I use them interchangeably. uh, So stuff you just need to file away on the, you know, the filing folders and then trash, the cross and you delete it. So everything that comes your way only fits these five categories the challenge is out of the box outlook and gmail and all these programs don't really give you workflows for how to manage your tasks your to-dos your reading and your waiting um tasks doesn't really work because it doesn't follow good to-do list methodologies it's a single level list uh, microsoft to do does work but it's a different program and you need some skill and training in that it's not embedded in email itself so we just recommend people create an action, a reading and a waiting folder, which become working folders and workflows where you can therefore have a to-do list, a reading folder and a delegated management task list. Uh, and then we teach you how to massively simplify your archives so that you speed up your archiving, like one folder or five folders, not a hundred. And we talk yeah. about the rationale behind that. And then there's a whole lot of habits. So this is just the setup. The habits is the key bit. How do you then read and process emails faster to get them out of your inbox and to not get in that addictive churn where the newest email determines what you do each day? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, email in just gets you to zero and it shows you how to stay yeah. there. I had to shut off my email notifications because I was getting derailed by email notifications because once it came across, I was like, oh, that's important. That's shiny. That's new. I'll do that. <laughs> that's look one of the key tips and you've done it is to recognize that email notifications, they suck. I mean, I work with corporations and so most people have two screens. They've got one for email and one for everything else. And they constantly, constantly scan email in real time throughout the day. Basically, it means that their brain is being interrupted every five to 15 minutes. Uh, And we know the research in multitasking that if, if you have, if you're doing something that's focused and important and you have an interruption, even if it's just to look at a new email, scan the Mm -hmm. desktop alert, like, and then go back to what you're doing, it takes 15 to 20 minutes to get back into the zone. So basically we no longer know how to focus. And, uh, and the research shows that people who regularly scan emails in that way, they feel more stressed at work and they're crap at email because you're scanning them. You're doing the yeps and the nups, but you don't actually know how to process. So 
Uh, our methodologies are to try to help you single task your way to get your inbox to zero, to manage your action folder, and then to turn off all Gmail, uh, all you know, Outlook, not yep. turn it off, but to minimize it with no alerts yep. so that you can focus on a conversation or focus on an activity and not let email determine the texture of every moment. Yeah. So, I mean, it relates I'm to making space. I'm starting to do well because I, blo- I block off time during my day where I check email and then I don't hmm. check it the other times. So, And on, honestly, Julie, if you're productive and you're doing what really matters, who, give, who, who cares that you've got 20,000 emails? I mean, if it stresses you out, that's a does. problem. And if you lose stuff and if you can't get back to people who matter, that's a problem. But I also think we, we make way too big a thing of email Mm. And um, the key, the, the key in my mind is to get so good at email that it stops shaping your priorities. Yeah. <laughs> and, and therefore you can live a better life. It, you need to use email well in order to not take too much of your time. Daniel, this was amazing. Your book, Spacemaker, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. Where can the listeners find that book? Hmm. So it's everywhere. It's Amazon. It's an audio book. Uh, you get to hear this Aussie accent for a bit longer. I was going to say, did you do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously an ebook. So you'll find it everywhere. Uh, if people are interested in the digital Sabbath and the idea of a day off, uh, yes. the, the secret is not just the idea, but to how to actually plan it, uh, how to prepare for it mm-hmm. and how to actually habituate it. So I've actually got free videos and downloads on my website. If you head to spacemakers.com.au, okay. I think backslash book, I'm sure you can put a links in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put links in the show notes. I went there yeah, today, downloaded all of that today. <laughs> so when it's a digital Sabbath, I was like, yeah, I need that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. No, it's great. And, uh, <laughs> It's fantastic to hear to uh, have a conversation with someone who's also doing some really good stuff, especially reflecting on how you work and making space. I can see that you do it already. Mm, I don't do it as good as you. (laughs) That is for sure. Before Daniel reached out to me and then before me doing my research into him, I had never thought of the idea that I have a relationship with my phone. When I look at it in that context of a relationship, I have to wonder, is this relationship healthy? Is it unhealthy? Is it potentially toxic? Is there anything in our lives at all that we don't take a break from other than when we are sleeping? We aren't with the same people every minute of every day, no matter if they are our spouse, kids, friends. We aren't constantly working. We aren't constantly eating. We aren't constantly working out. We aren't constantly drinking. And yet we constantly have our phones with us in our hands, in the cup holder of our car, in our purse, in our pocket, on the bedside table while we sleep. This is a relationship. And if you ask me, a smothering one. When Daniel said that he would feel a tightness in his chest and anxiety bubble up because of his constantly connected lifestyle, I wanted to raise my hand and shout, me too. So... What would our lives be like if we had time every day where we disconnected? Not just from our phones, but from our computers, our television screens, our eye watches. Would we feel a sense of relief at the ability to disconnect and just be present in our non-digital surroundings? Well, I, for one, am going to try it. I'm going to start small, though, and I'll probably have to ask Alexa for a timer, which is ironic and sad all at the same time. But I 
want to feel the freedom of that disconnect. Maybe with 15 minutes, then 20, then 30, and so on. And maybe one day it will be a complete 24 hours, like my friend John in his 24 6 lifestyle. And maybe I really, really enjoy that seventh day of disconnect. What do you think? Could you do it? Could you go a day, a whole day, without anything digital? Could you not check your phone? Could you wear an old timey watch? cook recipes out of cookbooks and not from online sources. You know, there used to be a time when that was normal. Our work, for the most part, stayed at the office. We didn't have the internet to doom scroll every night. We read books on paper. We woke up to alarm clocks that we didn't bring into the bathroom with us. I don't know. I'm feeling nostalgia now. I'm old enough to remember when you left your computer at the office, when work didn't know your cell phone number or your home number for that matter. I think we can give ourselves one day a week to get back in touch with the slower, less connected way of life. And what I would do in that slower, less connected way of life is take time to enjoy this week's drink of the week, which I got from a website called Punch Drink, and it's called Slow Down, Shirley. The website says this is a combination of quintessential East Coast fall flavors, and we are now at least for me, on the East Coast, and it is the fall. So here's what you're going to need. Three-fourths ounce of lemon juice, three-fourths ounce of ginger syrup, three-fourths ounce of apple brandy, one and a half ounces of cranberry liqueur, a dash of Angostura bitters, and soda to top it off. In a cocktail shaker, combine all ingredients except for the soda and shake with ice. Strain into an ice-filled Collins glass and top with soda water. Garnish with candied ginger which is my absolute favorite. If you have not had candied ginger, it's so good. I buy it by the bagful and I eat one piece every morning and one piece every night. All right, friends. Enough about what I'm doing for day. <laughs> That's it for this week. If you haven't already, please take a moment to write a review of the podcast if you like it and share it with your friends. Again, if you like it, if you think somebody in your network would benefit from it. Until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.